Good evening. Hello, hello, hello. Let's wait for everyone to get their audio sorted. If you want to put your week video feed on, you're welcome to, but you don't have to as always. Lovely. So after last time's quality of life, we move swiftly on to RS4 Reynolds, which I have to confess both Colin and I was like, hmm, how are we going to spend 60 minutes talking about this? But it will be interesting. Anyway, so my name is Stanford. I'm a medical doctor, working in mental health, uh, also yoga teacher, training with Colin for yoga therapy. And I would like Colin introduce himself. Hi, my name is Colin. I'm a yoga teacher, yoga therapist. I spent the last 20 plus, maybe even 25 years, I can't remember now how long, um, working with people um, in different environments, different situations. Um, I've come across many things um, and I'm really happy to share and answer any questions um, to do with any of these subjects that we're talking about. So please feel free to ask questions. Um, we've chosen the subject. I mean, I, I really enjoyed last week, by the way, Stanford. So thank you for that. Um, was it last week or last month? Um, last month. Last month. I really enjoyed it. I, and this month we're talking about Raynaud's, um, a circulatory disorder where there's a, the symptoms are a cold sensation of feeling in the hands and feet, correct? Um, so for me, this kind of brings up a number of questions because, you know, you've got this cold sensation of hands and feet. It brings up, the question is, is it only in winter that this occurs or is it other times of the year? Um, and the other thing I was thinking about with this is does it affect those people in warmer climates as well? Because, you know, if, if you, you're in England and it's middle of winter and you get cold hands and cold feet, you know, what's happening at the other side of the world is in Australia? You know, it, it's, is it just this climate? Um, and also I started thinking about this with regard to does it occur at different times of the day? You know, so is, is it more prone at one time of the day or another time of the day? Um, and then I sort of kind of th started thinking about it, it about age and is there a sort of an age point with regard to this? Because I was talking about this to um, one of the guys that was building a stone wall and he said his two-year-old niece had got Raynaud's and had to go to hospital. And I was, so I was thinking, is, is, is age, how does age affect this? And then I was um, wondering, does it affect those with more a sedentary lifestyle or those with more an active lifestyle? You know, because if you've got cold hands and feet, you know, it's a circulatory issue. You know, does it, is it someone that is sedentary or does it affect those people that are very active as well? Um, and then I started to ask questions about to myself, you know, what triggers this? You know, what are the triggers with this? You know, is it hereditary? Is it linked to something like blood sugar? Is it linked to low blood pressure? You know, is there a difference between, you know, someone that's naturally cold? Um, because some people are naturally cold. You see them, you know, they walk, you know, they come around. They, they don't have rain hoods, but they've got like 15 coats on and they've got their hands out absolutely fine. And you know, they're kind of like they're naturally cold people. And but is there a link between, or is a difference or a link between naturally cold and Raynaud's and Raynaud's are naturally cold, you know? So there's so I sort of these questions. And then, you know, it, how do we deal with it? Is there a cure to it? Um, what is the best we can actually do? And then I was thinking of you, I was Stanford, I was thinking, you know, what, how do we, get a diagnosis of this? What's the current approach to this thinking, to the condition? And then I was thinking about the relationship between this condition and other conditions as well. I was kind of thinking, well, is there a relationship between this condition and loads of other conditions? You know, because everything is connected. So if someone's getting cold hands and feet, uh, is there a link with other things that we know about? And, and also when it does occur, so when there is an attack or symptoms that actually occur with Raynaud's, um, is there, is there a knock-on effect into breath? Is there a knock-on effect in the mind, into feelings? Is there, what, what's going on with this? And then sort of the final question is, is it only a physical cause that creates a trigger or is it that there can be a psychological cause? So this is sort of my, my thinking around this. I mean, feel free to add anything. Um, but what do you think, Stanford? 
I think you gave us a very, very good start. And I'm really, really praying that a lot of those questions are rhetorical, meaning that you are going to answer it yourself because <laughs> I don't think I can. Um, but what I found was most interesting is I think when we start talking about Rayner's, a lot of people immediately say Rayner's syndrome, where it means like a collection of and or combination of different symptoms that can be added together and that create a syndrome and that a lot of the time have a pathology associated with it. But actually the true term when I learned in medical school is called Raynaud's phenomenon. So it's actually something that just happened. It's especially this primary, which means there's no known cause or no specific medical condition that's associated with it. It's a phenomenon. It happens and it's kind of a natural thing that it just happens. Um, and it's not necessarily always pathological. Um, it is uncomfortable. I, I, I have had it in the past. I know a lot of people will have it and there's definitely complaints about the discomfort and the sensation you get, um, which a lot of the time can be pain, can be numbness, especially you go through the kind of the white and the blue phase. We'll go through the color in a bit. Um, itchiness, pins and needles, especially when the sensations start to return and also difficulty in like your movement or coordination mostly because it happens, as Colin said, it, it happens in the extremities. So I would say the first thing to say is it's, it's interesting because it's not always pathological, however, the sensation and feelings always uncomfortable. It was first described, I think, in somewhere like 1862 by a French doctor, apparently, hence the name Reynolds. And uh, it's, um, it's um, phasal spasm, which means like phasal, the blood vessels, spasming, so kind of very, very quickly and successively contracting. So it's a constriction in the blood vessels that causes the issue. So we, we know usually caused by um, cold temperature, but it can also be because less emotional stress um, and then some other causes as well we can go into. The typical thing about Reynolds phenomenon is that it, it has this very specific color change. It's kind of like a flag. So it goes white first, so it kind of blanch out the area. Um, it turns really, really white, um, meaning that's like a lack of circulation to that area. And then turn blue, so it can't gone a little bit cyanotic. Sinos, I think it's like Latin for blue, or um, so it got it, the, the tissue slowly getting less and less oxygen supply. So take away that blue, lo lovely red color, and it turns it into blue. And the most interesting color to come back is it comes back with bright, bright red because once everything re um, reperfused with oxygenated blood, it kind of suddenly go to overdrive. So it suddenly turn into bright red. And all the discomfort can happen in any of the three phases. So you can have a lot of numbness and pain to begin with, but also a lot of the time when the feeling and sensation return, actually the itchiness and the pins and needles can be worse as well. I mean, I personally been with someone, um, I think would climb Kilimanjaro back in the days. And it was like, you know, when you get up to 3000 plus feet above sea level, it gets really, really cold, especially we, we went literally first thing in the morning to catch the sunrise. And there's a lot of, lot of complaint about just the general sensation at the discomfort. But that's actually when we come back to base camp, when we're having a warm drink, that's when the discomfort comes for those people that I've been with. Um, so I always think that's quite interesting. Um, Colin, I kind of forgot what other question have you raised now? <laughs> what you've done is you've begun to answer a number of things. So the first is the, I like the difference between the phenomenon um, and syndrome. Um, and I like the, the, the way that you've kind of separated that because we've, it, it, in a way, it, you're beginning to answer the question because you've, you've turned around and you've said, there's two things. One is the external influence of what's happening, which is to do with um, there's a change in the environment outside. So there's an external change and it's a body's response to the external change outside. And then the other thing is that there is an internal interaction that's going on that isn't happening in the way that it should. So then we get this kind of phenomenon occurring. Um, so we, we've got two things that we're looking at. One is something that's external and our relationship with the external environment. And the other is this internal response that's actually occurring. So this is basically what we're dealing with. Um, and to summarize within this is that in a way we're using yoga to deal with 
circulation to deal with heat and to deal with metabolism. And what this means from the yoga perspective is that we need to be specifically looking at three different elements, which I'm going to build out a little bit more, because to answer the questions that we started this with and to begin to understand the, the, a lot of the points that Stanford's just made is that these three areas that we need to look at are first is Vyana Vayu. And Vyana Vayu, as most of you know, has to do and manages the circulation within the body. So this is the first thing we need to look at, and we'll expand on this in a minute. The second is with regard to Agni, and Agni is fire or heat that resides within the body. Um, there are four different types of Agni um, which are given, but one of these is specifically resides within the body. So this is fire or heat that resides within the body. Um, and then we need to be looking at something called Pachakapitta, which is the Pitta, or the metabolistic process which occurs in the lower stomach and duodenum. Um, and so all these three things, according to yoga, are creating or causing the phenomenon to occur. And using yoga's tools, we can do a number of things. We can increase pressure within the body. We can decrease pressure within the body. Um, we can also increase heat, we can decrease heat within the body. We can work to increase or decrease space. So our choice of tools needs to be specific for the condition that is being presented. And it also needs to target these three things. So it needs to target Vyana Vayu, it needs to target Agni, and it needs to target Pachakapitta. Um, so... With regard to the relationships, my first question is it only in winter? And what about other times of the year? I, this was for me the first question. And actually, I've seen it occur at any time of year. Have you, would you agree with that, Stanford? Yeah. It can, it can happen any time in the year. Yeah. And it can also happen in any climate as well. So it's a phenomenon that can occur in different climates. So it's not just kind of confined to one sort of zone. And the reason I'm saying this is that when we're coming to look at pathology, we and, and we're looking at different conditions, we are looking at several things. We're looking at, at the place, the place that someone's in. Um, we're looking also at the time of day, which is why I asked the question, does it occur at different times of the day? Yes, it does occur at different times of day. Is it specific? I don't know the answer to that yet. Um, and, I'm, and I'll let you know when I know. But this is the next thing we come to look at is time. There's a, there's a time frame in a lead up to the phenomenon occurring, and it's normally after an event. So it's kind of like almost it's a knock on event to that. How long does it last for? Um, Stanford, is there any sort of any ideas about this? Or well, I think it's very difficult to say. Usually the blue and the white phase kind of last for however long the stimulus is around. So if it's caused by cold, naturally it will persist for the length of time that you're exposed to cold. Um, there is no certain time frame when the whiteness of the, of the extremity can turn to blue. Um, as for returning, usually with good circulation or normal circulation, um, the, 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 the colour should come back within about five to ten minutes. It will be quite, quite rare if it takes longer than that, or unless that, you know, that's been a really prolonged period of exposure. So I would say five, ten minutes probably more normal or expected. Is there damage? Um, just to go another question, do you know if there's damage to the skin or the tissue um, associated with exposure that comes from rain hurts? So it, it can be. So... Again, I think I think I have to make it a little bit more specific. So let's say the cause is cold, then it can cause damage because obviously once it's been exposed for too long, where the blood circulation is um, cut off, and basically the the, the the continuous warming system that our circulation uh, circulation is, as well as many other amazing things that it does, it, it slowly take the tissues and not just the skin, but can also be the connective tissues, the muscles, any underlying structure, slowly taking those blood supply away, uh, meaning that they are more vulnerable to coldness or any other damage. And obviously that at that point, it, if any damage being done, it can be permanent. Now, skin has a much 
better property in healing compared to a lot of other parts of us. So that is quite fortunate. Um, but there, there, uh, if there's any impaired healing, say the person has diabetes, it can turn to cold sore, it can turn into a sore that never really go well, never heal properly as well. It is possible. But then, again, as always, a little bit more rare. And, and, and do you think, um, do you think there's any specific ages that are exposed to this more or, or is it just, it, I don't know, it's, this is my question to you. I love how you're turning the table around this time and you're asking me all the questions. So um, typically, typically. Faster, you have to actually be faster and, and turn it around the other way. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. I, I, I got something prepared to do. Uh, so typically it um, is most prevalent, meaning it's most common between 15 to 25 years old. Some statistics say it's common for adults under the age of 30. Um, now, I say you're neighbors or your workers knees who, who is two and has it happen is very rare so if it's anywhere that happens to anyone that under the age of 12 it can indicate as the issues because those are the age group where there shouldn't really be an obvious circulatory problem unless there's an under, uh, undiagnosed medical issue uh, medical condition so that's usually the assumption so anyone under the age of i say 12 to 13 if they have very a prominent renal syndrome uh, as a renal phenomenon and they need to seek medical attention. If you are 25, 30 years old and above and start developing it, it may also be, uh, sorry, the first time you develop it, it may also be worth um, seeking medical attention as well. Because again, it is actually most associated with autoimmune disease. So things like, um, I think most people have heard of lupus, um, which is uh, basically your, your immune system going to overdrive and attack itself. A lot of time going to the nerve systems, uh, but also can to uh, any other system as well, causing a lot of haywire issues. Um, the scleroderma or another form called crest, um, so it can be systematic. So like whole body, including most of the connective tissue uh, hardening, scleroderma, that's what that means, like the connective tissue hardening, or the more localized one as well. And that is also known to um, connect with Reynolds um, phenomenon. Rheumatoid arthritis or other kind of autoimmune arthritis can be associated with it as well. Sjogren's syndrome, dermato uh, dermatomyositis, myositis, sorry, and polymyositis. So these are slightly more rare things that you may have heard about. However, they have the um, onset typically a little bit later in life, so 30 years onward, which is why if fresh out of the start, you have a new country, um, you suddenly develop Reynolds phenomenon, it's probably worth um, seeking medical attention. Um, again, I bring climate back in or geographic location back in again, because personal experience when I first came here, which is 15, almost 20, 20 years ago now, actually, um, I, I, with the winter, uh, when English winter, I did start developing Reynolds um, phenomenon, but that that's more a climate change and geographic change, which is slightly more reasonable. So Colin, shall I ask you one then? You've been waiting, I can see. So well, my yeah, question- I've got plenty more to ask you. So I can just, <laughs> I've got a cup of tea here. I can keep going all day. It's good. So I'm, I'm going to cut to this right, Chase. So when I do my research, and when, with your explanation, I'm really intrigued in the yoga or Ayurvedic point of view, is Raynaud's associated with stress? And if so, how or which of the three things the, I'm not going to try to pronounce them because I'm going to do them bad, badly, the Vayu, the Pitter, and also the Agni, are related. And I explain my thinking process because in what you think about your answer. So because... That's fine. Okay, as I said already, uh, Reynolds phenomenon is associated with uh, facial constriction, mm. meaning the blood, uh, the blood vessels are constricting. And that is actually a very normal response uh, during a stress process. I think we talked about sympathetic nervous system many times, and I'm, I'm sure everyone has heard about it. But there's a reason why we want the uh, vessels to constrict and almost like a bit spastic because we want the blood to pump around, not to everywhere around the body, especially around the muscles, so that we can have like more kind of energized muscles. So we can run away or hunt or fight, whatever it has to do. 
Now, what we haven't actually said so far is what is what does extremity mean? Because we kind of just said fingers, which is usually the most common thing, because our toes typically are covered by our socks and shoes, but actually also include our nose and our ears as well. And that's what happened in facial constriction. You know, in general, the big blood vessels like your aorta, your carotid artery and things like that, they get really good blood supply because they're big, they have the capacity to contract and to pump bloods around. But the small capillaries, so these are kind of like the fine hairline um, blood vessels that is in the extremity, they constrict and they don't really have the capacity to keep up pumping bloods into them. They kind of just cut the blood supply off a little bit which in some way in a stress response is good as well because you don't want so much blood on the extremity, you want to focus everything internally. So that's why I thought, ah, actually it is quite kind of related to a stress response if I think about it deeply. Um, but I haven't learned too, too much about it. So I'm gonna stay quiet now. I'm gonna let you speak. <laughs> okay, so um, just to clarify the question is with regard to stress and rainers. So I probably need to go on a bit of a journey. Um, so if, if this is okay with you, I'll, I'll sort of build it into various different steps because I think if we understand, first of all, um, rainers from an Ayurvedic point of view, um, I'll just explain just a little bit more about that. So build out more on Vyana Vayu, Agni and Pachakapitta, but give the reasons about what's happening with these three things, how then they create the um, phenomenon that is Renault's. But also, um, once we understand this, we can then actually see that actually, it, it, when stress comes into the system, it actually affects the system quite a lot. So let me start, I'm just making a note here so I don't forget something. Um, let me start with, um, as a yoga therapist, you're coming to look at the physical structure of the body, which is just one sixth of what you're coming to look at. So you're looking at the physical structure. You're also looking at the how the structure is actually functioning. So when I'm looking at the physical structure, I'm looking at the constitution. So from an Ayurvedic perspective, we're looking at tridosha. So we're trying to understand is what's the makeup of the person. And Reynolds being cold, there are two dosha that are subject to being aggravated by cold. One is kappa and the other is vata. So for me, I'm coming to look at a number of things within this. I'm looking at the constitution of the person, um, what their constitution is, whether that constitution is their genuine constitution or whether there's an imbalance and this is the constitution that is expressing itself at that moment in time. Um, I'm also coming to look at another thing called pancha kosha. I'm looking at how within the body itself, the person takes stuff in, in through their lungs, into their stomach, and how their digestive system is working so that there is a movement outwards through their bowels and outwards through um, the bladder as well. So I'm coming to see how these, and kosha means back, how the bags of the body are working, because it tells us a lot about the process of something coming in and something coming out, how things circulate and how things move around. So what becomes quite crucial is that we get a measure on the time gap or the effectiveness. How is it functioning? How is it working? What's going on with it? Is it regular? Is it normal? Is it irregular? Um, is it overactive? Is it underactive? Does it become regularly irregular? So I can't, I'm coming to look at these different things because it points to different imbalances deeper into the system. The next thing is that we, as a therapist, you're looking at the concept of satantate, which is the tissues within the body, how the body is actually constructed, so how the liquids of the body how the blood in the body is, how the muscles are, how the fat in the body is, what's happening you know, in the structure of the bones, what's happening with the nerves, how the energy of the body is deep in the system. So because there's a, a metabolic effect that moves things right the way through the body. And I liked what you said, Stanford, about autoimmune conditions, because 
Vyana Vaya, which is what I'll come to speak about in a minute, is there's a it, it, it does a lot of it's everywhere within the nervous system. It's everywhere within the circulatory system, and it's also in the heart. It's central to the actual process of moving things around. And something like lupus, when the body actually attacks itself, it's actually attacking its own system. And there's a disruption of the way that this is actually working. Um, but we'll come to this in a second. Um, the other thing that I'm coming to look at is how people perceive or sense things. So how they see things, how they taste things, how they touch things, how they smell things, how they hear things. So I'm looking at how they sense things, but also how they express their senses, so how they use their feet, their hands, how they come to use the different organs of the body, communicate. Because for me, this is caught up in the process of understanding what isn't circulating around in the right way. Um, the final thing that I come to look at is, and this is actually quite interesting, is, is Shadrasa. Um, shad Shadrasa means six taste. And it's linked to ahara, it's linked to food. And when we come to look at approaches to Reynolds, um in a little while, what we'll do is we will probably discuss some of the ideas associated with six tastes, because if we're coming to work with Vyanavaya, if we're working with Agni, with fire and heat, if we're working with Pachakapitta, which is this digestive process that's occurring within the body, there are certain things that help with it and certain things that aggravate it. And so we find that three tastes cause a problem. Um, it's interesting because I, I think you would have found in your research, Stanford, that um, coffee and alcohol should not be consumed with Ronodes. Yeah, spot on. Thank you. Um, and when we come to look at taste, you know, something like, what, what taste is coffee? Do you mind me asking? Bitter. Yeah, it's bitter and it's also astringent, which are two different tastes. And bitter and astringent both cause aggravation to the metabolism in the system and the agony within the system. So when we start to kind of look and understand how the system is working and functioning according to Ayurveda and yoga, and we see how it's affected by the foods and liquids we take into it, it's different from the way we view it in the West because, you know, in the West we kind of go, okay, have a coffee it's great you know it's brilliant I, I can kind of do lots of different things i can move around it makes me feel okay but actually it aggravates the metabolic process within the system and this is the reason why but we come to look at this further in a minute um so the first thing is that i'm looking at vyanavayu vyanavayu is as I said, it's located in the heart. It's everywhere within the nervous system. It's everywhere within the circulatory system. An imbalance of it is something like Raynaud's. It's also things like high blood pressure, okay? Fast heart rate, stress, nerve issues, shaking, twitching, fevers, these type of things, aggravation of the nervous system, aggravation of the circulatory system when it goes wrong. It, Vyanavayu regulates the heart rate, it regulates blood pressure, it regulates perspiration. Um, it gives all over body movement. So I found it very interesting, Stanford, when you said, you know, th there's a kind of like strangeness that goes on with body movement with this condition. Um, and you see, it's, it's function as a circulation of all the liquids and the energy of the body. It gives the dilation and the contraction of all the blood vessels, and it's the movement of all the muscles and the joints. So for me, if Vyanavayu isn't working well, there's an issue. An issue happens within the body, within these different things. But we're not just working with the movement of the body, we're not just working with Vyanavayu, we're also working with heat. So we're working with two things. We're working with Agni, okay, which is the fire. Um, and Agni is heat or fire, it's there to digest uh, with the help of Vaya. Um, so it does it with the help of Vaya. The most important fire within the body is actually the digestive fire. Um, and the heat that accompanies this process is Agni. 
So the metabolism is not agony, but it's the heat that accompanies the process that is the agony, just to qualify. Um, and the digestive fire, according to Ayurveda, is it's the root of all the agony within the body. So what this is saying is that by the intense heat that operates the digest, it's like a, like a boiler, basically. By that intense heat, combined with the circulatory action that's going on, it keeps all the heat up in the body. But there's a reason that it's not getting to the microcapillaries. There is a reason it's not getting to this point, which means there's an issue that's going on within the central area of the body. And so it's supposed to get heat everywhere, including to the extremities. And so the view is that if this internal fire is preserved, the body will be in good health and will have strength. Energy will be increased and there is also sort of a, a good luster and feeling within the body. If this acne is deranged, we actually get disease and all diseases come from deranged acne, the deranged function of what's going on in the center of the body. And so according to Ayurveda and yoga, it means that acne is the root of health as well as disease. And there was, I just put a note on this when you first asked this question a minute ago, because um, there's a, a kind of an interesting saying. Um, hot abdomen, cool head, health. Hot head, cool abdomen, disease. And so this links to Pachaka Pitta, which is located in the stomach and the duodenum. It, its function is actually to digest food. It separates and distributes nutrients around the body. This is Pachaka Pitta, um, which is a form of breaking things down within the system metabolism, metabolizing things in the system. So, and it aids the assimilation processes within the body. But the other thing that Pachaka Pitta does in Ayurveda is that it regulates the agni, regulates the heat within the system. So I have a, a boiler in the house and, it, and it, we, we've got thermostats, we've got these other things in place that regulate all this stuff. And if this is working well, it gives strength to every other metabolic function within the system. And when it goes wrong, you get irregularity right the way through the system. So for me, Raynaud's is a combination of these three things. There's heat isn't getting to the extremity for some reason. There is an issue going on in the area of the stomach, the duodenum, and around this area. There is an imbalance of heat combined with a, a mismanagement of relationship with the circulatory function. So, it means that anything that affects the normal process of heat within the system, let's say something like stress, what do people do when they're stressed? They eat strange things or they don't eat anything at all. They tend to maybe drink or they tend to do something to relieve the stress like do very strong activities. There's an internal pressure that builds up within the body. So we know with stress, there's lots of different coping mechanisms people have. But the internal dialogue that accompanies stress is very profound. And what we know is that the, and according to Yoga and Ayurveda, its point of view is that the physical body is just the effect of something much deeper. So what this means is it means that the mind, the belief system and the emotional system combine together. If they're working well, the person will take something in. 
they'll be able to digest and assimilate it. They'll be able to let go and circulate things around. If things aren't working well, let's say someone feels over full, very stressed, they can't take anything else in, there's an increase of pressure, stress within the system. So it's the underlying, deeper, subtle aspect of the system that influences what we're seeing on the surface. So this is how stress can affect. Does this make any sense, David? Beautiful. And you ha how, how you use the example of food as well as how we assimilate and kind of give up what we don't need from a digestive process in relation to stress is great. And mm. I, I especially love how how you how, how you explain acne as well because I think a lot of the ones I've heard is always talking about heat and heat and heat and was you said actually it's, it's the heat created by the digestive process which that is the important part not not just the heat itself because I've heard a lot of different saying about it where we focus on the heat before kind of ignore the digestive process and, and I think that can sometimes perhaps cause issues as well I do have an I do have a follow-up question which is you mentioned estrangedness or astringent and bitterness is not good mm. uh, for the metab uh, metabolic process. Is there a particular taste or few tastes that are better or in, in, in relatively better? Well, if we start to look at, um, so if we take, I think maybe let's ask the questions, what approaches to Reynolds? or what approaches to working with Viana Vayu, with Agni, and also with Pachaka Pitta that could be helpful. So we are, I think if we, if we take it this way, we begin to uh, think about it a little further because one thing is, is food. And food is hugely important within both yoga and Ayurveda. It, it's, we, and, and quite often we have a real problem with that. Um, we're very, very heavily influenced by what we think we should eat versus what we actually need to eat. There's a kind of like a real sort of um, a strangeness that goes on because it's very interesting. You know, I've got an issue with kale. I recall. Okay. My issue with kale is it's bitter. And it's like coffee. So it reduces the agony within the system. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Well, my issue of care is I didn't like taste, but okay. Yeah, but, but, but this is what I find quite interesting is that it's, if we start to look at how things taste, if we start to look at things like um, sweeter, so madhura means sweet. If you look at sweet taste of something, what sweet taste does is it increases mass within the system. And by increasing mass, it actually reduces the metabolic fire and it reduces the, the way that actually the function, the vata is functioning within the system. So if you, if you let's say you come home from a, a, a long day at work, you tend to go for sweet foods to settle the system, to make you feel better. Okay, so you have sweet, sugary foods. You, you enjoy something sweet as a treat. Things like oats, wheat, bread, rice, all these things are sweet. And they have an effect on the agony. They bring the agony down, but they also give a sense of stability within the body. They bring the weight of the body down as well. So that's why we tend to be drawn to them. Because the question is, is there a difference between what I need and actually what I want and do is what I want, what I need. And there's this kind of this thing that goes on, this pull that goes on within, within us. And why I'm saying this, why it becomes important is that actually, I know someone that loves eating cake and they have brain oats. And they like the kind of like the, you know, that kind of icing put on top of cake. They eat lots of this kind of sweet icing and lots of sweet things. And it's almost, and it's why I asked the question at the beginning, is there a relationship between a sugar crash and these types of things as well? Because there's something about the fluctuations within the body and then how we're working with food and how it affects circulation in the extremities of the body that we need to look at and be aware of. 
Um, then there is um, bitter, and bitter, as we know, bitter is coffee, tea, kale, spinach, turmeric, these type of things. Um, again, what bitter does, bitter reduces the metabolic process. So it brings the metabolic process down. It also, it increases some of the agitation, the circulation within the system. So you can understand why some people use it to go to the bathroom. So they have a cup of coffee, it increases the circulation of the bathroom, but it affects the acne within the system at the same time. So I think that's quite interesting. So there's combinations of things that are happening together. And we have to think what the primary thing is. Um, then if we come to look at something like astringent, so something like astringent kashaya, um, if we come to look at astringent, you're looking at um, things like pomegranates, beans, lentils, um, ripe pears, artichokes, broccoli, cauliflower, these sort of things they can affect the system as well. On the other side of it, to increase, when we're looking at food, Shabrasa, when we're looking at this, um, we can increase by using um, sour foods. So um, sour is, is things like, um, it, it's like citrus, but also it's fermented as well. Can you suggest any fermented foods? Kimchi? Yeah, and anything else? Mm, I can think of a lot of pickle veg from China, from China, but I don't know what the English name is. You've got kimchi, but you've also got um, it's kabucha. Is that is that um, yeah from, yeah yeah? So that's quite popular at the moment, isn't it? Very popular. Sourdough does that count? Quite possibly. Why not? Why not indeed? Well, it has the name, it has the, has the taste in the name, so there you go. Um, the other thing is that um, salty foods, salty foods increase the, because of salt increases, I mean, things like soy sauce and stuff like that. So increases this process. It's very salty, super salty. Unless you've got the duck variety, less salty. <laughs> um, and then pungent as well. So. Things like chili, garlic, onions, ginger, black pepper, cayenne pepper, avocado, cumin, all these pungent sort of things actually increase the metabolic process, increase agony within the system. So what we're coming to do is we're coming to look at the foods that someone takes. So I'm starting to ask questions to people who have brain nodes about the foods that they're taking. My friend who eats cake will find it very, very difficult to give up cake. However, I can make lots of food with chili and stuff like this. And, you know, put chili, cumin. Cumin is absolutely fantastic. Put chili, cumin, garlic, ginger, all together in a dish. Really, really good for the agony within the system. Um, so this is on the Shadrasa, the sixth taste, um, when we're coming to consider this. If we just just a question for you, um, what's the current medical approach to um, Raynaud's Stanford? How, so yeah. Sorry. How how would at the moment how would Western medicine approach this? So I start by talking about food as well because I love talking about food so much. Yeah. The reason why I ask is because we often recommend healthy diet for Raynaud's syndrome. Healthy dying in the Western medicine sense, especially in the circulatory condition like Raynaud's, means that you have to have moderate amounts of fat, moderate amounts of sugar, because it's about your cardiovascular health. It's about um, trying to prevent these plaques, these kind of autoimmune plaques that form inside blood vessels that ultimately cause a heart attack and uh, strokes. And these are the plaques that forms when, when you have a high fat content in the body, 
or when you have things like diabetes, because the the, the and and also in combination with hypertension as well, um, high blood pressure, because there's constant stretching. So the body's trying to kind of repair itself in a way. And when they, when they repair itself, we're trying to find something that's stronger. So you find things that is harder plaques in order to uh, repair the area. So that's why when, when if the blood pressure is not well controlled, eventually it will come to a stage where the blood pressure is going against something really hard, solid and not flexible. And like your normal healthy blood vessels and it bursts. And that's where you get your uh, cardio, um, myocardial infarction and um, stroke from. That's kind of, very, very simplifying, badly explained uh, cardiovascular event, but that's kind of what, what happens. So in a, in a Western sense of dietary advice, it will be um, to moderate amounts of the sugar because you want to prevent um, diabetes. You want to moderate amounts of fats because you want to prevent hyper, uh, high cholesterols, especially the bad kind. You want to moderate amounts of salt that you take in because you don't want to put up the blood pressure too much. Mm-hmm. Now the medical advice at the moment, <laughs> For diagnosis, it's mainly clinical. It means history and examination. Just to take the history, how it presents, we already given the typical kind. Um, it also examine the hands or any other areas that is affected. There's no other signs of any other systematic disease like um, scleroderma that I mentioned, which is can have some hardening of the skin or nodules sometimes. Um, but also that means taking good medication history as well, because there are medication that can cause Raynaud's phenomenon, which we haven't quite touched on yet. So any medication that cause um, vasoconstriction, obviously gonna cause, um, uh, increase the likelihood of uh, vasospasm in cold weather or emotional stress. So these are things like beta blocker and amphetamine. So these are the vasoconstrictor that we gave out or you know, people party with. So we want to take a really good history about those. Um, the other interesting thing, what I found was apparently, so like Colin said, lifestyle, what kind of work do they do? What kind of occupation or interest they do? Because if they work with a lot of vibrations and a kind of physical stress with their hands, like tools, drills, um, you know, construction workers, they use all hose or things that I can't name. They, the vibration itself can actually cause a mechanical facial spasm that induce Raynaud's, which is, as we said already, can happen at any climate and can happen at any time. It's just associated with different things. Uh, another one apparently is quite common, piano players. They can have Raynaud's phenomenon as well. Personally, I haven't seen any, but apparently can. Um, so, and, and very kind of more rarely, you can also associate it with things like thyroid illness, hypothyper and hypothyroidism, because again, I think it's related to the metabolic process as we talked about already. Uh, atherosclerosis, which is the hardening of the blood vessels, carpal tunnel syndrome, localized injury, uh, pressure sores, gangrene, and also polycythemia, which is when your blood get a little bit more thickened. So it's kind of the concentration of the blood cells, like your red blood cells, white blood cells, increase in relation to how much blood you actually have. And of, again, that kind of clock up the, um, the blood vessels and cause a little bit more likely to have to cut off the um, uh, microvasculature that we have in our extremities. Mm. So how to treat it, we want to kind of keep warm, massage, nice cup of tea is always helpful, especially if it happens in your hand, how we die, we already mentioned. We also have kind of moderate regular regular exercise to to improve the general systematic cardiovascular function um aerobic exercise especially that will help and i think that's an interesting point because um when we were doing the promotion for um this webinar we we kind of had this discussion between myself and the colleagues it's like sometimes even though the person had really good systematic circulation meaning you have very good cardiovascular health, you can still have Raynaud's because it's a localized issues. However, the general advice is, well, as always, a regular moderate amount of exercise that is, you know, suitable for you will always be helpful. Mm-hmm. And very, very rarely we go for uh, medications. So any vasodilators, so things like Sindinafil, um, uh, which a mouthful and difficult to pronounce, but the trade name I think everyone knows, which is Viagra, because that is a uh, vasodilator, alpha blocker, nifedipine, um, which is calcium channel blocker. So there are medications that can help with. Sometimes we can use um, 
intervention steps as well as like Botox injection because it kind of um, Botox is basically a snake toxin that they extracted that helps to smooth out your skin because it kind of blocks out the local um, nerve supply. So it, it blocks out the ability of that area to constrict. So that can also help as well. And really, really severe cases, you can um, do cutting off the nerve sympathetic nectomy, a sympathetic nectomy, which may help. But again, these are very, very rare things. I rarely heard them happen. I think rarely we have to go through that extreme as a treatment. Um, <laughs> no, Colin's looking deep in thoughts. No, no, no. I, I, it's, I think it's really, really interesting. Um, the approach is to, uh, I like the middle ground approach, which is to you know, keep a, a, a consistency, not an extremeness, but a consistency of exercise and keeping warm and, and maintaining a sort of a regularity of things. For me, I kind of really relate to that. Um, my question, next question is, is can, it, can it actually be cured? Or is it that you have to live alongside this condition? So I, I don't know, I think it's a very difficult answer. Because first of all, I come back to your point where you like the middle ground, because I think the middle ground works quite well for a common phenomenon or syndrome like Raynaud's, because it actually affects about 40% of general population. About 10% um, will, of the affected people will need medical advice, but often that's because just to investigate, there's no like evil cause of it. Now, I said already, it, it takes place more in the young adulthood. I think some people do grow out of it. I, I grew out of mine, but I think some people continuously have it. Now, my, what I'd be interested to ask Colin is, is that because of a lifestyle modification or adjustment or adaptation to our body, or is that a natural physiology because I think naturally if I think about it cardiovascular health in general do kind of regress or worsen as we grow older mm. however I think looking at Reynolds in general it doesn't it, it doesn't tend to get worse um definitely some people definitely do but some people kind of get better some people get uh, some people kind of stay the same so it's hard for me to comment on Mm. I, I would agree with that. I would say that actually Raynaud's will be a consistent condition. So it'll be a, a, a it, and it's why I asked the question at the beginning with regard to accompanying conditions and approaches to accompanying conditions, because I think that almost in a way Raynaud's is accompanies many other things. Um, and, I, and I think that's what we need to be very much aware of because it, it's, and jumping back to what we said about Agni and this digestive process, according to Ayurveda and yoga, is central and key to the health of the system. In fact, most of yoga's practices are targeted to these things. So if we come to look at yoga practices that focus on this, any type of brimana practice, and brimana is the concept of expansive concept, any type of brimana practice will increase ushna, the heat within the system. And it's that what we're looking to do is actually look to contain the heat within the system. First, if you think about, um, to work with Raynaud's, the, the first thing that we would do is we'd open and close the center of the body. So we would actually, this central line of the body, this, this middle area here, we would actually open and close it. So we'd things, use things like Ulva Mukhashvanasana to Ardha Mukhashvanasana. So upward facing dog to downward facing dog. Constantly, you know, consistent movement of opening and closing in this way. Um, we would also look to use breathing techniques like Kampala Bahati. So the beginning of a practice using Kapalabhati and always doing it within the number of rounds that you've been trained to do it in and with the accompanying pranayama techniques afterwards to make sure the effect actually runs through the system becomes important. So something like Kapalabhati specifically targets and increases the ushna, the heat within the system, and it helps with this. You add the other pranayama techniques afterwards 
as you've been trained and taught, it will then move through the system. Based on this, we also there's different sequences that put together will also increase the heat within the system. It's not just about how you move, it's about how you come to do things and the way that the actual sequence is put together. Something like Bastrika at the end of a practice as a pranayama technique combined again with the accompanying correct pranayama technique that you've been trained to use at the end will help to maintain a very good level of heat within the system. Proper use of banda. And I mean this, proper use of banda. Um, one of the processes within Hatha Yoga is to begin to contain the energy and heat within the system in the right way. So it's actually to bring the energy and the heat back to the center of the body so that it's not displaced, so that from the center it can then expand outwards in the way that it needs to. So a lot of the processes of Banda, so Jalandara Banda, Mula Banda and Uddiyana Banda, and the order they're actually put in and work with, actually come to consolidate and bring the energy within. And so these would be the sort of practices that you would be coming to work with, with regard to Raynaud's. And also including the ideas that, that Stanford put forward about keeping a consistent heat, warm clothes, exercising regularly, um, give you a regular temperature to the hands and feet, um, and working with diet as well. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I, I like what you said about how it accompanied a lot of other um, medical, medical condition, how, how the tips that you gave because it just suddenly gave me a thought that maybe as yoga therapist or clinician if uh, a client or patient present to us with Reynolds it may be I, I can now almost see it as a little bit like a warning sign where that there is something deeper going on or there's something within the system that's not working right maybe it's the kind of food maybe it's the kind of drugs that they take uh rather it's prescribed or recreational maybe it's the alcohol or the caffeine maybe it's the stress whatever it may be uh, and again medically if they happens before 12 years old after 30 years old for the first episode or they happen unilaterally meaning only on one side uh, or any other systematic symptoms that is not quite right then it may be bigger warning signs for bigger things like autoimmune system, uh, disease maybe um, heart um, cardiovascular disease but in general even the milder form like the 40 percent population form is still worth like kind of considering with your clients and patients an overall health kind of investigation just to see maybe there's something's not quite working maybe like colin say they're eating too much kale i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i'm putting words in his mouth now anything can happen <laughs> um so it, in its summary um from my perspective as a as a therapist, when someone is presented in this way, presenting in this way, I'm coming to look at the structure of their body. I'm asking numbers of different questions around how Viana is working, how Agni is working, how Patrick Pitta is working, so how their digestive system is working, um, how the circulatory system is working. I'm also asking numbers of different questions about the their relationship with the outside world and their relationship with their internal world as well to understand just a little bit more about what's going on and the approach that i'm taking again based on the person is to i'm finding the right level of approach to open and close their body to take into account any other conditions that are being presented at the same time i'm looking to find a way of increasing the heat within the system, not dangerously so it runs through the system, but to bring it back to where it should be in the center of the system. So I'm finding the right level and I'm finding the appropriate way to, for them to interact with themselves so that they can live alongside their condition, which is rain out. But I also need to take into account the possibilities of what is coming in the future with regard to any other conditions.
Stanford. I think I think I think that summary. I can't do anything else. I think I've given mine already. So I'm just going to take the opportunity to, to thank everyone for joining us again tonight. Been oh. amazing. It's so lovely to see all your lovely faces again and all your screen photos. I wasn't the next one, Colin. What are we talk about next time for S? S is for shame. Mm. I think it's a particularly interesting subject matter. Um, I, what I want to do is I, I want to talk with you about shame, to look at deconstructing shame um, from both a Western perspective and an Eastern perspective, but also to look at how it manifests, um, to look at what we do with regards and what the feelings of shame are and how that creates different behaviours with regards to you know, us as human beings. And one of the questions I've got is what can we do about it? Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to next time, and I think it's a shame this has come to an end right now. I know, me too. I think we got quite excited talking about it last time. But yes, we must let you go tonight, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you.